following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the Let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's my purpose today to encourage you to walk with Jesus. It's my purpose to call you into such a relationship with Him that He will clearly direct your path. To be called out of the world and into his grace. That's my purpose. To exalt, to exalt on high Jesus Christ. To call you to be a part of his kingdom. To walk as a part of his church. So I ask you the question, what is the first baby step 
that you must make if you're going to be a Christian. What is the second baby step that you must take if you're going to be a follower of Jesus? What's the third step? What's the fourth step? What's the fifth step? What's the one thousandth step if you want to be a follower of Jesus? Frankly, they're all the same. The answer is very simple. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's very simple. The first step to walk with Jesus, the first step to be a Christian, is simply to do your duty to Jesus to do what he asks you to do. You find in the scripture things that he will impress upon you that you must do. You will find things as you pray that the Holy Spirit will quicken. Do this. Don't do that. Go here. Go there. And as you learn... As someone said to me, that's the whole Christian life. Just doing what Jesus asks us to do. When I got up this morning, I immediately turned to prayer. Why? I have to get my marching orders for the day. He's the boss, he's my Lord. I wait upon him. I don't have a personal agenda that I have to follow today. I have a Jesus agenda. So I knew that he wanted me to make some phone calls. And then I began to receive texts from a dear sister. And the text messages just kept coming. 8, 9, 10, 11... I said, Lord, what do I do with this? Answer this way. And I wrote out exactly what the Spirit was prompting me to write. And this dear sister in Christ responded with great joy. Thank you, Pastor. I couldn't claim any credit. I was simply giving the answers that Jesus had given to me as he said, write. I initially said, Lord, I don't have time to answer her. I have to prepare for radio. No. Do one thing at a time. Do it well. Do it in obedience to Jesus. That's all that's required of us. To simply do our duty before Jesus. Simply to do our duty before Jesus. And so I answered this dear sister, and my heart was lifted with encouragement. I received some phone calls this morning that were healing for my heart. That was the grace of God. He knows the condition of our heart. He knows where the bruises are. He knows where the broken places are. And if we will just do our duty before him... He will pour in the oil and the wine. 
He will heal us. He will restore us. We don't do that for ourselves. It would be of no value to me to go eat a quart of ice cream. That would just make me sick. He does not want me to comfort my heart. And I confess to you from experience, there have been times when I've gone through things that have been extremely painful. And I always have some chocolate candies in my living room for the guests that come to the house. I went and sat down and ate the whole bowlful and then felt sick. And I should have felt sick. I had to repent. And I had to come back and say, Jesus, you are enough for me. You are enough for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. And then trust him. Sometimes I've been troubled when I've gone on a wonderful vacation and I wake up in the morning. This was some years ago. I woke up in the morning and and the sunshine was streaming in the windows and right outside my door was a beautiful beach down in Florida with a, with a beautiful ocean. And I, of course, immediately turned to the scriptures and began to read and pray and, and fellowship with Jesus because He's the one my heart loves more than anyone or anything. But I didn't hear him say, go do this. He did not express any duty to me, and I began to be very concerned. I said, Lord, don't you have anything for me to do today? There was no answer. It was all still. And I began to repent and say, Lord, have I grieved you some way? Why is my heart so filled with quiet and peace? And I don't know what I'm supposed to go do. Well, I'd been working hard for a couple of years with no break. And suddenly I have the break and I want to still do. And I was clear after repenting for my hardness of heart that it was not hardness of heart. He wanted me simply to rest with him and enjoy his company. He had nothing for me to do that day except to enjoy his presence. Now please, the Lord is not a hard man. He is a man of great compassion. He is a man of incredible mercy and kindness. He is holy beyond anything we can imagine. There is no sin found in him. He is, how do I even begin to describe it? He is grand. He is larger than life. He holds the earth in his hand. He keeps the universe. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for him. And he loves with such tender compassion and mercy. 
I said to this dear woman this morning, just do what the Lord asks you to do. Because your temptation will be to become overwhelmed. And when you're overwhelmed, you crash and burn. You get discouraged. You get depressed. Nobody's loving you. You begin to feel sorry for yourself. No, don't go there. Just let the love of Jesus flow in your heart and take that baby step and just do what he's asking you to do. Just act upon his commands to your heart one at a time. And life suddenly becomes so quiet and so peaceful. You see, I don't live in the future. I live right now. This is the only time I have is right now with you. I'm, I'm talking you and I together. This is all we have. This is where Jesus comes and asks me to take the baby step of just right now saying what he's telling me to say to you. And so I let the Spirit flow from my heart and mind what he has given me to say to you. I don't have to jam. I don't have to push. I don't have to condemn. I don't have to speak any word to you except that which Jesus gives me. He's not called me to worry. He's not calling me to fret. In fact, he says, fret not. I'm invited to cast all of my anxieties upon him. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Literally, that word rest, he's saying, I will give you my bedroom. We will be intimate with each other. Oh, how my heart longs for that total, complete intimacy in the bedroom of God. That's what rest means, cessation. But it, but the word under cessation is where you lay down to sleep. I just want to rest in Jesus and do what he tells me to do one day at a time. He's asked me to lay down my ambition. He's asked me to lay down my plans. He's asked me to simply lift my hands and surrender to him like a baby reaching for a parent. Pick me up, Daddy. Pick me up, Mama. Pick me up, Jesus. So today, I'm going to share with you some of the writings of a wonderful man of God, Charles Finney, who is without a doubt the most widely known and successful American revivalist. I mean, God moved in this man so powerfully. He was a, backs, a backwoodsman. He was trained as a teacher. He was trained as an attorney. But he was converted, and he was called to preach. 
So he wrote a book entitled Revival Lectures. I've gone back to this book so many times. It's been such a wonderful encouragement to my heart. I I would challenge you to go to a bookstore and find Revival's Revival Lectures by Charles G. Finney and begin to read it and understand what God is saying to you. But today I want to read a passage of Scripture first in Mark the 11th chapter. Now please, I want to say to preface this, I have this passage underlined in my Bible in gold. This passage more than any other single passage in the scriptures has been the anchor of my soul in Jesus Christ. He has has given me authority in this scripture to pray for finances, to pray many different prayers, and he answers. I want to read it for you. Mark, the 11th chapter, and I'll begin with verse 22. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you for your trespasses. And of course, that word to forgive in the Greek is aphemi, And it means literally to take off, to remove, to send away as a husband who is divorcing his wife. There's no longer a relationship between them. She's gone. He's alone. This is the word in classical Greek that is used to describe this relationship of brokenness. Well, that same word is used by the Apostle Paul and by the disciples, by Jesus, to mean a break with the devil. Can I ask you a question? Have you divorced the devil yet? Or are you still married to him? When you divorce the devil, he is removed from you. He is lifted off of you. The devil brings depression, discouragement, despair, unbelief, anger, bitterness, fornication, every uncleanness, violent videos, violent movies. The devil loves violence. God hates violence. I got a a note from a a dear friend who is a Jewish man, a Reformed Jewish man. 
and at the close of his message to me, he said, Shalom and best regards, Ron. I smiled broadly when I got that note. It meant more to me that he would say shalom to me and best regards. It meant more than his entire note meant to me because shalom means the provision of God. It means peace. It doesn't mean violence. It means God's presence is with you. So I wrote him back. And I said to him, Ron, I'm praying for you today. Shalom. And he sent back in capital letters, Thank you. When we begin to take the promises of God and we let him remove from us our own agenda, our own will, our own way, and all we want is Jesus and his glory. Our prayers are answered. But now I want to share with you what Finney, Charles Finney, has to say about this subject. I'm going to begin reading from Lecture 5, The Prayer of Faith. What are we to believe when we pray? We are to believe in the existence of God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and in his willingness to answer prayer, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 There are many who believe in the existence of God, but do not believe in the power of prayer. They profess to believe in God, but deny the necessity or influence of prayer. We are to believe that we shall receive something. What? Not something or anything, as it happens, but some particular thing that we ask for. We are not to think that God is such a being that if we ask for a fish, he will give us a serpent. Or if we ask bread, he'll give us a stone. But he says, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and you shall have them. With respect, to the faith of miracles, it is plain that the disciples were bound to believe that they should receive just what they ask for. <coughs> Pardon me. That the very thing itself should come to pass. That is what they were to believe. Now, what ought men to believe in regard to other blessings? Is it a mere loose idea that if a man prays for a specific blessing, God will by some mysterious sovereignty give something other to him or something to somebody else somewhere? When a man prays for his children's conversion, is he to believe that either his children will be converted or somebody else's children? Is it altogether uncertain? No. 
that would be nonsense, highly dishonorable to God. We are to believe that we shall receive the very thing that we ask for. Now let me just please make a note. I have pressed God hard on the promise that he will remove a mountain for me. And it didn't happen. And I didn't back away. I pressed in harder. Nothing happened. I didn't back away. I spent more time on my knees. I spent more time reading aloud Mark 11, saying, This is the promise. Now I know you'll do what I've asked you to do. And there was no response. And nothing changed in the physical realm. Now please may I say something to you. Your maturity in Jesus and your relationship with Jesus can be very quickly judged by whether when you pray for specific things in accord with the scripture, God answers your prayer. We should be able to go to the Lord in prayer and see the physical world changed by the supernatural power of God because we prayed. If the supernatural power of God does not move in response to your prayer, there's a problem. And it means that we must submit ourselves more wholly unto God. We must go back and check and make certain that we are doing everything he has instructed us to do. That we have stopped listening to what he prompted us did not please him. We must stop going places where his spirit has prompted us to no longer go. As one man who loved to go to the clubs and the strip clubs, and he loved to go to the massage parlors with the sexual massage, a single man. He loved to go and drink at the bar. But then he began, he began to turn toward Jesus. The Holy Spirit began to call him. And one of the first things he said was, stop drinking that alcohol. You need a clear mind. He said, Pastor, is it possible that Jesus is telling me that I shouldn't be drinking this alcohol? The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink alcohol. No, I said, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach. Well, is this God telling me? Well, what do you think? Yes, I think it is God. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to obey him or not? Well, yes, I am going to obey him. Okay. So he came back later and he said, I went to a strip club. Was the Holy Spirit pleased with you? Did he say it was okay? No, he told me not to go again or he would leave me. Well, what are you going to do? Well, pastor, I'm not going to go anymore. But it's okay, isn't it, if I go to the club where there's no striptease and I don't drink, but I enjoy the dance and I enjoy the music? 
that's okay, isn't it? I said, don't ask me. I'm not Jesus. Ask Jesus. Well, I don't want to. Well, why don't you want to? Because he'll tell me to stop. Oh, so you know your duty to God, but you don't want to do your duty. You're in trouble. So what are you going to do? Well, I think I'm not going to come to church for a while. Oh, that'll take care of the problem, won't it? Did God tell you to come? Yes. But now you're going to rebel against him everywhere, aren't you? Because you don't want to do what he's wanting you to do. Well, God's not doing anything for me. He's just telling me to stop doing things. If God was fair and just, he would do for me what I ask. Oh, I said, my brother, your arms are too short to box with God. I think you better just submit to him and do what he tells you to do. All right. And he was groaning in his spirit. I could hear him groaning. He was going, oh, oh. I said, are you, are you groaning? Yes, pastor. Why are you groaning? Because I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to do what he tells me to do. Oh, I love this man. He's honest. You recognize yourself? Have you ever been unwilling to do what Jesus asks you to do? Especially, do you not want to do what Jesus asks you to do when it's going to make you look stupid and foolish in front of your family? You see, always I was a poor farm boy. So when I became a pastor, I could finally wear nice suits and dress up and be clean. My whole life changed. Now I was driving a nice car and living in a nice house. And then Jesus began to tell me to do some things that made me look very foolish. I said, Lord, I don't want to look foolish. People aren't going to respect me. Well, do you respect me, Ray? Well, yes. Well, then do what I told you to do. Lord, if I do that, I'm going to be scorned. I'm not going to be accepted. Oh, is acceptance a big deal for you, Ray? Yes. I've never been anybody. I want to be somebody. Oh, you want to be somebody. You want to be somebody important. You want people to look up to you. Yes. Well, you're going to have to die. Because I can't use you when you want to be somebody. Oh, I'm going to tell you, my brother and sister. It took me some years to die out. It was very painful. It was hard. And now I drive not a beautiful Mercedes. I drive an old white 1996 Toyota 
with some dings and bangs and bandages on it. You know what? Somebody rode with me recently in the car, and they said, you drive this car like a race car. And I said to him, well, yes, David drove a sports car. King David drove a sports car. What do you mean? Well, it says in the Bible that the roar of his triumph was throughout the land. They laughed. See, I'm dead to what car I drive now. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I only want what Jesus wants. You see what I what I mean when I say the first step, the first baby step to walk with Jesus is just to do what he tells you to do. And the second step is to do what he tells you to do. And the third step is, that's the Christian life. Just do what Jesus tells you to do and don't fight with him. And do it quickly. If you want to save yourself a lot of trouble and grief. You see, I can't save myself anymore. I've died to what people think about me. I'm concerned now about what people think of Jesus. I'm concerned now about what people think about his church. I don't care what people think about me. That's the miracle of Jesus by just day by day doing exactly what he asks me to do. And many of the things he's asked me to do have caused me great shame. And Jesus has used that shame to cause me to die out. (laughs) What's it like in your life? Are you still filled with pride? You want to be approved? You want to have it your way? Or are your hands lifted up to Jesus and you've said, Jesus, no matter what you ask me to do, I will do it? If I'm shamed, it's okay. I'm going to walk straight ahead and do what Jesus tells me to do. And I'm going to let everything lay wherever it lays. And if everyone leaves me because I'm doing it the way Jesus said to do it, it's okay. Because I'm not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Now, I told you at the beginning of the broadcast, I want to encourage you in the Christian walk. You're now seeing that I'm not encouraging you in some sentimental, emotional walk. No, I'm inviting you to walk in the fire of obedience to Jesus Christ. To lay down your agenda to lay down your life and let the love of Jesus flow out of your heart to others. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you have to move out. (laughs) It's not easy to move out of your own body and give it to another. He doesn't ask you to leave your personality behind. I mean, He just wants you to move out and he'll take over and he'll use your personality. He made it. He likes who you are. He likes your sense of humor. He likes your intelligence. 
He likes the sweetness of your heart. Why? Because he gave it to you. He made you. And in his garden, there are many varieties of flowers, many different colors, many different aromas, and they're all sweet. You're one of those flowers. Finney continues. When are we bound to make this prayer of faith? Well, when are we bound to believe that we shall have the very thing we pray for? I answer, when we have evidence of it. Faith must always have evidence. A man cannot believe a thing unless he sees something which he supposes to be the evidence. He is under no obligation to believe and has no right to believe a thing will be done unless he has evidence. It is the height of fanaticism to believe without evidence. The kinds of evidence a man may have are as follows. Number one. Suppose that God has especially promised the thing. As for instance, when God says he is more ready to give his Holy Spirit to them that ask him than parents are to give bread to their children, here we are bound to believe that we shall receive it when we pray for it. You have no right to put in an if and say, Lord, if it is if it is thy will, give us the Holy Spirit. This is to insult God. To put an if into God's promise where God has put none is tantamount to charging God without being, with being insincere. It's like saying, O oh God, if thou art in earnest in making these promises, grant us this blessing, we pray. He writes, I heard of a case where a young convert was the means of teaching a minister a solemn truth on the subject of prayer. She was from a very wicked family, but she went to live at the minister's house. And while there, she was hopefully converted. One day, she went to the minister's study while he was there, a thing she had not done in the past and he thought there must be something the matter with her. So he asked her to please sit down and kindly inquired into what was happening, and she then told him that she was distressed at the manner in which the older church members prayed for the Holy Spirit. They would pray for the Holy Spirit to come and would seem to be very much in earnest and plead the promises of God and then say, O Lord, if it be thy will, grant us these blessings for Christ's sake. She thought that saying, if it be thy will, when God had expressly promised it, was questioning whether God was sincere in his promises. Now the minister tried to reason her out of it, and he succeeded in confounding her. But she was distressed and filled with grief, and said, I cannot argue the point with you, sir, but it is impressed on my mind that it is wrong and dishonoring to God. 
and she went away weeping with anguish. The minister saw she was not satisfied, and it led him to look at the matter again. And finally he saw that it was putting in an if where God had put none, but where he had revealed his will expressly, and he saw that it was an insult to God. Therefore he went and told his people they were bound to believe that God was in earnest when he made them a promise. And the spirit of prayer came down upon that church, and a most powerful revival followed. Now number two of the evidence. Where there is a general promise in the scriptures which you may reasonably apply to the particular case before you, if its real meaning includes the particular thing for which you pray, or if it can reasonably apply the principle of the promise to the case, there you have evidence. For instance, suppose it is time it is a time when wickedness prevails greatly and you are led to pray for God's interference. What promise have you? Well, this is one. Isaiah 59, verse 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Here you see a general promise laying down a principle of God's administration, which you may apply to the case before you as a warrant for exercising faith in prayer. And if the inquiry is made as to the time in which God will grant the blessing in answer to your prayer, you have this promise. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four: While they are yet speaking, I will hear them. So here is a general promise and a principle laid down in the Bible which Christians can make use of if they would only think. Whatever you are, whenever you are in circumstances to which the promise or principle applies, there you are to use them. I want to stop a moment. You have the right to look at America and see the flood of wickedness that is coming into this nation. And you have the right to get on your face before God. And you have the right and the privilege to ask God, expecting a miracle, to raise up a standard of righteousness against that wickedness. Now, we have seen that, in part, in America in the last election. Many of us were praying that God would, would step in with a new administration and stop the falling down of righteousness in America, that he would stop the abortions, that he would stop the greater and greater debt that he would reduce the control of government over God's people, that he would give religious liberty in the land and no longer threaten the church. Well, did I believe that 
Mr. Trump was a godly man. No, I did not and do not. But neither was Nebuchadnezzar. And yet God grabbed a hold of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's one of the greatest trophies in heaven today. And so I'm praying that God will grab a hold of Donald Trump and his family and will turn them into gracious Christian people who will repent of their sin and serve the Lord God of heaven. Now, I must add, I see the wickedness that has flowed into the church in America. And I am asking God to step into the Methodist church the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church. I'm asking God to step into the independent congregations. I'm asking the Lord to step into the church and stir them up and give the churches a spirit of prayer that they would exalt a holy and righteous God I'm asking that he would step in and raise a standard of righteousness in America, that he would put America on its face, repenting for its wickedness, and especially starting in the house of the Lord. And I am absolutely believing that God is going to do this and is in fact beginning to do that now. This radio broadcast, this is a miracle of God. There's no great church sponsoring this radio broadcast. There's just humble men and women of God who hear the cry for righteousness and who respond and send tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel for Pilgrim's Progress. There's no sales gimmick there's no if you'll send your best offering i will send you free of charge this and that we don't do commerce church for us is not a business the lord said go on the radio and preach righteousness preach repentance preach holiness call my people to repent Call my people to obey my word. Call my people to every day just do my will. So that's what I'm doing. I'm obeying the word of the Lord. The results are not for me. So in this one little radio station on this short one hour, five days a week, I come and lift up a standard of righteousness because that's what God ordered me to do. And he's paying for it by grace through many of you who sacrifice so much every month to send those monies so that the radio bill can be paid. And by God's grace, last month is paid. We have the right to ask God to raise up a standard of righteousness in America, on the television, in the internet, on the radio, on the FM dial. We have a right to ask him to make Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran pastors come awake 
and begin to lift up a standard of righteousness. We have a right to pray that the Baptist pastors will rise up and begin to pray righteousness, a standard of righteousness against the wickedness that has flowed into their churches. Many of them are very fearful that if they do this, they'll lose their jobs. And you know what? They might. But the Lord Jesus will be very pleased. The Lord Jesus will rejoice in you and he will give you another place to preach, preacher. He'll assign you a new place to raise up a standard of righteousness because the will of God today in America is that a standard of righteousness be lifted up. So tell me, Will you pray for a standard of righteousness to be lifted up in this nation? Will you pray that God will do that now? And will you believe that he's doing it now? I want to read more for you. Finney says, I could go from one end of the Bible to the other and produce an astonishing variety of texts that are applicable as promises, enough to prove that in whatever circumstance a child of God may be placed, God has provided in the Bible some promise, either general or particular, which he can apply that is precisely suited to his case. Can I tell you why so very many of you don't pray very much? First, because you've been unwilling to do God's will in your life. You have not taken those first baby steps of true salvation. And secondly, you find ways to provide for yourself without involving Jesus. And that's pride. That's pride. We are called to lay everything down and to turn to the Lord Jesus and give to him every area of our life and every part of our heart. We're called to pray according to the promises of God. Second Peter tells us, in fact, maybe I'd better just quickly turn to that passage of Scripture for you. Let me grab my Bible. I could quote it for you, but... I don't want to quote it. I want to read it exactly. And I want to read it from the Lavender translation of the New Testament. Grace to you. This is Second Peter 1 verse 2. Grace to you. And may peace be multiplied by the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as all things for life and godliness have been given to us by his divine power, through the full knowledge of the one who called us for glory. Now listen. Through which things he has given to us the precious and great promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having already escaped from the corruption of the world by lust. The world is being corrupted by lust. Lust for money. Lust for appreciation. Lust for approval. 
lust for sex, lust for entertainment. The lust of the flesh is consuming America. And Peter is saying, you can only participate in the divine nature by grabbing a hold of the promises of God. That's how you enter the divine nature. I'm being told that we have just two minutes left in this broadcast. Would you grab a promise, a promise of God? And would you hang on until he answers? And would you take the first baby step today and do exactly what Jesus is telling you to do? Now, please, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find blogs, you'll find podcasts, you'll find videos. Let your heart be strengthened and encouraged in Jesus. Write to me, please, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Pray that God will lift up a standard of righteousness in this land. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus.